0: Tappers, what's up? It is the Friday edition of the Daily Tap for March 5th. We've made it. We are at Friday. Exciting to be here. I am fired up, as always, when we're doing Friday shows. I'm fired up to be getting this out to you early. So sorry about yesterday. Um, we will talk about that in a second. want to tell you guys what we're doing show-wise why I am encouraged by the Bucks' late game, uh, heroics of late. We'll talk about last night's grizzlies bucks matchup. Also, Ryan Braun and the midseason appearance, what that could mean for the Brewers. Basically, how are they going to do this? Are they gonna allow it? We'll go over all that. Maybe a little shrapnel too from all the JBJ stuff as news continued to emerge today uh, after what we had had talked about yesterday. And lastly, we'll talk about Milwaukee getting completely jobbed on the drunkest baseball teams list. Uh, Brewer fans ranked ninth. I think that is a crime. I and My friends have some theories. I am here for them, and we'll go over them. And then lastly, we'll just take a quick look at what's going on college basketball-wise this weekend In the state of Wisconsin, I was going to do something on Milwaukee and COVID, but it's Friday and fuck, I don't want to do that. So maybe we'll do it on Monday when I'm all pissed up and and ready to roll. All right, first of all, before we go talking about the Bucks, let me give you a quick apology. Um, So you might have noticed that you didn't get a Thursday show. and Well, actually you did, but you got a Thursday show in your inbox, I don't know, three hours ago, four hours ago, um, that i had officially put live it was in a complete mess i should say a mess of a show i was a good show honestly but it was like i started with aaron jones last night kind of started to wear down and i was like you know what i want to you know kind of perk myself back up in a lot of ways i just should have done the whole thing this morning but then but then i i thought i was going to edit it when i got back from the gym you know kind of kill some time, you know, in between a, you know a couple projects here and there. But I was pretty busy as the day went on and didn't even think about it. And before you know it, it's like, all right. I I didn't know that I didn't post this podcast until I was listening to Bill Simmons and I'm like, "You know what? I didn't post my own podcast." And that's not good, so I got it up there. So if you haven't listened to Thursday's show, it's about Aaron Jones, a little Jackie Bradley Jr., a little bit of Ticket Story time about Bruce Springsteen. Go back and listen to that. Basically, you have two podcasts and one on Friday. So the topics will be different enough where I don't think it's gonna blend together, where you're like, all right, you basically are getting a tapping the keg uh, for your Friday, so consider that a win. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks got it done tonight, 112-111 to against the Memphis Grizzlies, a very impressive win for the Milwaukee Bucks, and it was impressive not because of the way the Bucks played. In fact, the Bucks played like shit. You know, it was just tough. It was tough to get baskets. You could say they played like shit. I mean, the third quarter wasn't good for them at all, but... The thing is, is Memphis has the best net rating defense or best defensive rating and like the third or fourth best net rating in the last five games. Memphis has really come together from a defensive perspective. They're allowing under 100 points per possessions and that's pretty damn good. That When you have guys, teams like Sacramento and Houston, and others giving up 120 per 100 possessions. You can see how good Memphis has been defensively, and they definitely showed in this game, and they made it a slog for the Bucks. but the Bucs kept battling back. The Bucks never quit. Memphis did help them. I thought Memphis had a couple turnovers, a couple bad shots. Dylan Brooks wins the Brandon Ingram Award, where I was happy every time Dylan Brooks decided it was his time to shoot the basketball instead of John Morant. And it was a great win because the fact is, is the Bucs keep winning these late game situations. This is now the third game in four that the Bucs have won late and found a way to close it out against an opponent. They closed it out against New Orleans. They closed it out against the Clippers and they've closed it out against the Grizzlies. Nuggets game, yeah, was a just, I guess, a throwaway. Just something that we won't really think about. But they they found a way at the end, and that matters. That is so important for the Bucks moving forward. That is such a big development in what the Bucks want to do for the postseason because they didn't really have these games last year. We talk about it all the time, right? It's kind of been beaten to death because people are like, a lot of the national media types, Lisa Salters, I think, did this on, on Sunday, and she's good at her job, so no, no disrespect, but she's like, Giannis, you playing in these late-game situations, like, what does that mean for the playoffs? And I think Giannis just goes, we gotta get better, and he's right, And but the fact that Milwaukee has an offense, a late-game offense, is so fucking refreshing. And again, this is where I go back to the Budenholzer haters that want to just be so mad at Bud at everything. And it's like he actually has figured out a late-game offense with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. You just have to look at it. You just have to pay attention. And if you're paying close enough attention, you see it's there. You see that they run at motion with those three guys and they spring open looks. You saw the open look for Pat Connton, who hit the three. I couldn't believe Pat Content had a three from the corner. I really couldn't. I, I mean I Pat Conton's not the guy you really want taking a three pointer under a minute, but you know, they trust him. They trusted him to hit that shot and he did and he delivered. I mean, he had 15 and 9 tonight. He played really well. I can't hate on Pat Cotton. People like to hate on Pat Cotton, but he had a good game so what what do you want what do you want me to do right you have to at least praise when it matters and chris middleton had a rough night from the field but he made all his free throws and he's had some real issues with the free throw line in the past yet he got it done and that is so important and and middleton you know yeah he's not been that great down the stretch here but I'm not ready to worry about it. I mean, some might, some, the Chris Middleton haters will probably find a way back up to roost. You know, those losers don't stay down for too long. They they have to rise up at some point. So the Bucks figuring out, and, and Drew Holiday. So we, we probably should have started with Drew Holiday, probably should have went there, but I feel like we... We all, were, we all understood when I said late game situations. We knew Drew Holiday was part of this conversation. So Drew Holiday gets himself on John Morant. He forces a steal, forces a turnover. That leads to, I believe, the Chris Middleton bucket where he got fouled and missed the shot but hit the two free throws. Then at the end of the game, somehow, someway, Dante DiVincenzo gets on John Morant. And now Dante's not bad, but he can't keep up with John Morant off the dribble. Jog blows by him, scoops it in over Giannis. Bucks don't have any timeout, so instead of drawing up a play, they just go and Drew Holiday hits a f- kind of a mid-range fadeaway. Might have pushed off slightly, but if they don't call that down the stretch and hits that, the Desmond Bain, their rookie, ends up with the ball for the game winner. He it goes short, and the Bucks win. And Drew Holiday was part of this difference. Drew Holiday played 23 minutes in this game. I fully expect Drew Holiday to be in the starting lineup next week. And I think that's something to be very excited for when the, the Bucks take on the Spunky Knicks on, I think, next, next Thursday. I think that's next Thursday night. But the fact that the Bucs are figuring this stuff out late is so, so good. And that is that's what's going to work in the playoffs. And, and you should be fired up for it. It's not a guarantee. It's not like just because the Bucs have figured out how to play in the last five minutes that it immediately means that this team is destined for the NBA Finals. No. But what it does mean is that you don't feel as uneasy when you're in a tight situation late. I, I think for the last two years, we wondered what was this outcome gonna look like? Was Eric Bledsoe gonna take a wild shot? Was Giannis Antetokounmpo going to run into a wall and not be able to create? And I don't really worry about this team late. I'm starting to get to that point where I'm not really scared of what they are in a late game situation because they're showing the experience out on the court each and every night. So yes, be happy with where the Bucks are. So they're at the break, they're 22 and 14. That's pretty good. I don't think anyone's gonna shrug their shoulders at 22 and 14. Is it not where they've been in years past? Yes. But is it something that you're gonna completely freak out over? No. Right now, Milwaukee sits as the three seed. They are two games back of Brooklyn, or one and a half back of Brooklyn, two back of Philly, for that number one spot right now, funny enough, because God hates us, the Bucks would play the Miami Heat in the first round, which just killed me now. But whatever you got, if you want to beat the best, you got. If you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So I'm not not really worried, and we have a long way to go before we know if the Bucks will be playing the Miami Heat in the first round of the playoffs. So that's where the Bucks sit right now. They sit pretty at the three seed. They have the third best record in the East. If you were to break it into the West and the East, the Bucs right now have the same amount of losses as the Clippers and the Trailblazers, who are the fourth and fifth spot in the Western Conference. And they are half halfback where the Lakers are from a losses perspective. They've all played more games than the Bucs, except for the Blazers. Blazers have not played more games than the Bucs. So, they're it's not like Milwaukee is completely a wreck here. This has not been a bad quote unquote first half. In fact, I think there have been a lot of good things to take away. The Bucks learned how to win without Drew Holiday a little bit, and then he got hurt, and they didn't. You know, they had one game right; they beat Denver, and then the the rest of them were shit. But they understood the importance of Drew Holiday. They kind of, I think, are figuring out their rotations. Right now, it seems like they're in a pretty good spot with that. Will they make an upgrade to Thanasis onto the Kumbo spot? I'm not sure. I know a lot of people don't like Thanasis, and I'm not huge on him either, but he's a huge energy guy. He is like Joe Noah, old Joe Noah, like Gator Boy Joe Noah on steroids in terms of his energy. I'm not saying, Joakim Noah was far better than him, right? He's he's maybe the poorest man's version of Joakim Noah, but he brings so much noise to the mix that it's it's really helpful, I think, for this Bucks team, and it, it fires everybody up, and I think that matters in the regular season. Is he going to be a guy that's riding the bench on the postseason, being an awesome towel waver? Shout out to J.P. Gavinsky, the All-American towel waver. That is an old reference that is like the old heads of Snowtap know that reference if you've been around for a long time you know it so anyways that's what he'll be in the playoffs but in the regular season when you just kind of need that boost you need that energy that's what the brings to the table and I, I gotta say i love it i at least love that i don't know if i always like that he's out of control you follow whatever so i think the bucks are in a very good spot right now I don't think that they are completely cooking, but I also don't think that they are a, a mess. As we said at the, stop, at the top, Memphis's defense has been one of the best in the NBA in the last few games. Have a net, defensive rating, not net rating, defensive rating of 98.3 per 100 possessions. So under 100, very good. You can bemoan that the the second half didn't really go that well until the end. Doesn't matter. A win is a fucking win. And I'll tell you this, and this is what I'll leave with. And then we'll go to Ryan Brum. If we want to compare him to LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, whatever, be honest, that is those guys and those teams that they were on. And you would you play him in the regular season when the Bucks would play one of those guys? They might lead. And you get all excited and you're like, oh my God, they're gonna beat LeBron or they're gonna beat Kobe. And in the last four minutes, they take your heart and rip it out. Giannis didn't do a lot in that the last four minutes, okay? But he was an integral part. He proved as a sort of a decoy. He worked his way to find Pat Conanton open. He worked to get Chris Middleton a, a shot where he got fouled and made free throws and gave the Bucks a temporary lead. So maybe this wasn't a pull your heart out game. The Clippers game was Giannis pulling the heart out of the Clippers and stomping on it. This one was him just kind of needling you, kind of bleeding you out slowly. And the fact that the Bucs won this game is a huge morale boost for this team. It is a great way to go into the break because if you didn't and you lost this game and you blew a halftime lead, I think... I don't know what my tune would be. I, I definitely would not be this happy. I'd be pretty upset. I think it would be just, all right, look at the positives. You know, they the seven. we said this was the most important seven games of Mike Boonehoser's career. And he won six to seven. And I think we all kind of got to shut up about it a little bit. So let's see where it goes from here. New York in a week's gonna be interesting. Um, they're, scra- like we said, scrappy. I'm sure we'll talk about it, heading into it and talk about it after. Giannis now heads to the All-Star Game. He's on Team LeBron with Luka and Steph Curry. Uh, LeBron and Giannis together, Le- LeBron took Giannis first. And as many have pointed out, I'm not the first one, but if Giannis was, not, was a free agent soon to be this summer and that happened, Do you know what the fucking takes would be today? They would be so insufferable. I would not be able to even be on Twitter because there would just be random shit flying across the board. Even though Giannis, I would think, does not want to play in an inch of LeBron. It'd be actually really interesting to watch Giannis and LeBron play together. I'm not gonna lie. Because I just feel like they're two alphas. Like I I don't know if LeBron's gonna let Giannis be Giannis but we'll see maybe it's a fun-ass team (laughs) Luca and Steph and Giannis and LeBron like holy fuck and then LeBron took the Utah shots no one wanted to play with Utah I'm like oh my goodness that that's good we need that shit like that's that's good NBA that's good we need that type of stuff we had the Utah Jazz complaining about the officials in Philadelphia, which I really should have talked about. I can talk about it now. Why not? right? It's, it's kind of free talk Friday. All right? we, we can kind of roll this. Utah complaining about the refs. I don't know if they got fined. So Donovan Mitchell, for those who don't know, um, Donovan, the Utah Jazz lost to the Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday night. Uh, it was an overtime game, and Donovan Mitchell – and Rui Gobert both went out of their way after the game to complain about the officials and said the Jazz get treated unfairly because they're not a big market team. I read that and I was like, where the fuck have you been? This is literally what the Bucks deal with every playoffs. Good for the Jazz for speaking out. And also it's kind of amazing that none of the Bucks big Js, and maybe they did, and I wasn't on Twitter that much before the game, so I apologize if they did. But, did one of the bucks big jays at least ask this question to the bucks because if they didn't it's a major missed opportunity because that would be my first question to Giannis if i had media availability i would just say be like Giannis, charlie from uh snow wi um, just want to ask you what did you think of the utah comments yesterday so if you'd missed it uh Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert complained about the officials after the game and said it's because they're not a big market team. Being that you're in Milwaukee, you know what? What do you think of that? Do you think that's true? Do you think that big markets get favored in these type of games? Can you? What do you? What, where do you stand on that? Obviously, Giannis would avoid it. He would say, "I'm not trying to get fined." He's not one that, you know, openly complains because I, I don't think he likes giving away his money, which is good for him, right? Like I don't want to give away my money. Cause he said multiple times, like he's ready to talk about the officials, and he's like, Nope, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so I would be really interested to hear what Giannis would have to say. Because I I think it would be similar. And I think that if this if the noise starts getting a little louder on this, the jazz have now opened the door. I don't know. I don't know if anything will change. Might not. Might just be Might just be what it'll be and we just live with it. But yeah, John Morant though, real quick. Ridiculous flop at the end of the game. Very Allen Iverson-like. Brought bad 2001 flashbacks. All right, let's move on. News came out today that Ryan Braun might be looking towards July as the time to come back to the Milwaukee Brewers. This from Trevor Pluth and Brewers Fever, shout out to him. He has the tweet for us and he says on his show today, Pluth said he talked to Ryan Braun. Said Ryan is thinking about coming back in July. He doesn't wanna play until then, but he can be an addition for them and pretty much the only team he'd play for. Okay, all right. So that's what Ryan Braun is thinking about doing. I already knew with the Jackie Bradley Jr. signing that Ryan Braun was probably not coming back anytime soon. And Ryan Braun now has said, all right, I want to come back in July. I really will only come back for the Brewers. And I called him Brett, the Brett Favre of baseball or something like that, and and a couple of people took it out of context, where I was like, no, it's just he doesn't want to play like a full season, just like Favre want to do the training camp. It was probably a bad comparison. Roger Clemens is more of it, but then people were like, oh, steroids, yeah, whatever. But Roger Clemens did this a few times. He came back in like May one year, I think he came back in June the other year, like It's not uncommon for baseball players to do this. This is not anything new. So Ryan Braun saying he's like ready to go in July. I think the Brewers will hold a roster spot open for him. I don't think the Brewers are going to tell Ryan Braun no. But they probably will level set with Ryan and say, look, I don't know how many opportunities you're going to get. We have Jackie Bradley Jr. We have Avisail Garcia. We have Lorenzo Cain. We have Christian Yelich. Like, I don't know when, when you're going to get your at bats. He might say, I'll play first base. He can't play third base. We already did that. That didn't work. But maybe he goes, plays a little third first base. He DHs when they're playing in the AL stadiums. Um, he's just a, a guy on the bench hanging out and just coming in for those big moments. We know how clutch Ryan Braun can be. And Ryan Braun deserves a pop, proper send off. And he should get it in front of the fans. He should say this is my last year. And honestly, I think I would probably go to his last game. I really would. I'm not one to usually do that. But as someone who saw Prince Fielder's last game in the NLCS in 2011, and we all kind of knew it was over, we all did like I, I should tell that story. That's actually a good ticket story time. I, that'll be next week's story. I will tell that story because that's that's a good one. I'm having dinner with uh, the, one of the guys that the guy I went with uh, on Saturday. So maybe I'll say, oh, yeah, we're going to I'm going to bring back that story that there's too much to it. There's a there's some funny <laughs> there's some funny stuff in there um, all across the board. Uh, that's just worth talking about. But uh, We'll get to that some other time. But back to Ryan Braun, like, you have to be in there. You have to be in the stadium for Ryan Braun's last game. And who knows where we are with COVID in September. Gosh, that's crazy to think about. I'm, I'd be married too. But you just have to be there for Ryan Braun. That's, that's just it. Like, Ryan is such an integral force of the Milwaukee Brewers. And I welcome him back with open arms I have no questions asked for Ryan Braun to be like, "All right, he wants to come back? Great. Like that's fantastic." And I think the Brewers probably feel the same way. And Ryan might un- I'm sure Ryan gets it. Like I'm sure Ryan knows that he just can't do it anymore. I mean, his back at the end of at the end of last year just completely fucked him. And he probably played too much last year. And these guys don't know it, right? They just play every day. They're like, all right, I'm feeling good. Like, oh, I might need a day off here, day off there. Like that was Lorenzo Cain, right? And then Lorenzo Cain's like, no, 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 I can't do that again. I can't, I gotta scale it back. And as for Cain, we found out today that he has a quad injury. So that looks like it's gonna be part, maybe part of the reason they they pushed on Jackie Bradley was that Lorenzo Cain does have a quad injury. So that could potentially keep him out just with the ramp up and everything that's going on there where we might sort of see less of low and it might take him might take him a few few more weeks because of last year's off time Brewers did lose today 5 to 1 probably there were I would say arguably their worst like spring training effort not a huge deal nothing to nothing to be sad about only thing i think to be a Touch concerned is the fact that Eric Lauer uh, gave up three runs in two innings and two home runs. That is less than stellar uh, for Eric Lauer, who I think a lot of people were high on in hopes. Again, it's one game, but it doesn't make you feel good, right? Andy Ashby, though. Let's get the hype train going on Andy Ashby. Uh, Six strikeouts in the two innings that he has faced or two innings he's played, he has pitched for the Brewers, if I can talk. A little bit of Jackie Bradley stuff that, well, we talked about Lorenzo Cain. I, I more I think about it, so I did the podcast yesterday, I talked about Jackie Bradley, but I, I think my final position is that Lorenzo Kane's the fourth outfielder, and that Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be the starting center fielder. They're going to lead off with Colton Wong. Colton Wong excelled at the leadoff position last year. So I think what the, the lineup will be, if I'm thinking about this, this is kinda on the fly, so don't judge me. But we'll see Colton Wong, Christian Yelich, Keston Hira. Keston hit third. Maybe you go then Dan Vogelbach. No, because Vogelbach and Hira won't be there. This is exciting radio. I know. It's it's really good. I I maybe Avasale fourth, Jackie Bradley fifth. Manny Pena or whoever, or Narvaez, is a catch. Narvaez sixth and Arcia, Urias, seventh and eighth. That would probably be your lineup, right? That would be what you're what you're looking at on a normal day. Now Craig Council obviously tweaks with the best of them. So I, I'm excited though. I, I think there is no reason to not be all in on this first season. You should be. This is not a team where you should be like, oh, kind of half in, half out like last year. Nope. It's not like last year. I think it's a year to be locked in right from the start when they get going against the Twins on the first. And there will be fans in the stands. So they were approved 25%. They weren't approved the tailgating part, which I think will disappoint a lot of people, and including the drunks. So there was a thing out today from like a gambling play. I think it was New Jersey State Gambling it seemed like something for like PR to get a bunch of attention, which I don't blame them, right? And they had the Brewers as the ninth fan base that drinks the most at a baseball game, that they average 3.5 drinks per game and they don't spend as much money. The leaders in the clubhouse, the Chicago White Sox at 4.2 and spend $46 on alcohol. Atlanta, Cincinnati, Cleveland, San Diego, Colorado, Washington, Baltimore, Detroit, all finish above the Brewers. All right, this is garbage. I said that on Instagram. So WI is where you can follow me. There, I was like, this is a garbage list because I mean, there is no drunker crowd than a Brewer Saturday night. Are you kidding me? I we were I was on a Zoom about my bachelor party, and which you know, if we're gonna do some live ba- live bachelor pod pods I'll have to like listen to them back and say all right this is good this is not this is maybe okay with a few edits and some bleeps but some of Murph was like there's no reason the Brewers should play after six o'clock on a Saturday like the three o'clock day game just you get the day started by going to the brewery game and just you let it rip now this is in normal times obviously And then you're able to go out to the bars and you just tie one the fuck on. That is summer in a nutshell. That is a perfect Saturday afternoon and evening. And so the idea that we're not the ones who buy the most beer seems kind of ridiculous. Although my guy, Shea Ken, shout out. I was supposed to have him on the show. I don't know what happened to that. Um, We'll have to, we're gonna get Shea Ken on. Maybe. Syracuse makes the tournament we'll talk about his fandom for Syracuse but he said at the he gave a theory about that they tail we tailgate so much and we pregame so much before brewer games that we're already hammered and we don't really need to buy too many drinks now I tend to I tend to agree with that and also to build off that comment how many times do you just buy a Long Island and then you're like, I'm fucking good? Like if you buy a Long Island, which is the best deal at Miller Park, even though you, they, you, have, to, you, have, you have to drink, you can't drink it at the stands anymore, right? Because they're sensitive about it. I think that's the rule. Is that still the rule? Yeah, no. Is that right? I think you do. I think you have to drink it at Fridays, which is absolute garbage. If I remember, God, isn't that, look how sad this is. I, I don't remember this, and this was two fucking years ago, and I can't remember it because guess who didn't go to a fucking baseball game last year? Yeah, boy. Anyways, Long Island, still a great deal. And when you finish a Long Island, you're like, I'm kind of good. like I'm kind of all right. like I don't know if I need a beer. I don't know if I, if I need another one. And yeah, there are days where you just put Miller Lights away like it's your fucking job. Like that was part of the requirement of your ticket was to hammer down six Miller Lights. But most of the time, as to Shannon's point, you are probably out there just slugging and you don't really need to have a a ton of beers when you're inside the stadium. And oh yeah, I called it Miller Park, American Family Field now. But no one's been in American Family Fields. It's still Miller Park until until we start. I do hate the people who are like, I'm not gonna call it American Family Field. Fuck off. It's, that's the name of the stadium. It's just a sponsor. They didn't wanna pay the money. I've said this before, but needs to be repeated a few times. So yes, it's a shame we didn't get on there. Murph also mentioned it was maybe an audience size thing. I agree with that. Yeah, Chicago, a lot of these are big markets. These aren't really small markets. But, and it also, too, a lot of these teams are, had bad baseball teams. Like, how many of those teams actually had good baseball teams? Like, I, I don't mean to do, like, the St. Louis Cardinals best fa- fan in baseball type shit. But, like, think about this. The Braves have sucked for, or not the Braves. <laughs> the Braves are actually been good. The White Sox have sucked. The Braves, pretty good recently. The Reds mostly suck, except for last year. No one was there. Just hate to see that for the Reds. Um, Yeah, feel no sympathy. Cleveland, been good. So that's that's two of four. So my theory is not getting that much water. Padres, until last year, again, pandemic, weren't good. Three out of five. Rockies, absolute shit show, four and six. Nationals, they did win a World Series. Big dent to my credibility, four and seven. Orioles, five and eight, I can count. And Detroit Tigers, six and nine, very nice. Suck my dick, I was right on this. So six of those nine teams were bottom dwellers. So of course, all you're doing is just drinking beers and you're not paying that close attention to baseball. Now, I know a lot of people don't pay attention to the Brewers. They're there for a the social aspect, I get it. But at the same time, there are still that do watch the game. And when you're good, more people are going to care. Even the casual fans are going to be more dialed in when the Brewers are playing well. And they have been. They've won three straight. They've been in the playoffs three straight years. Even if last year was wonky, they still are part of the three straight years. Quickly on college basketball, I guess it's National Marquette Day on Saturday. Um, they play at night, 8 o'clock game. 1,800 fans in attendance at the FISER Forum for Marquette Xavier. Should be... An interesting environment, right? Um, I don't know what kind of reaction Steve Wojciechowski is going to get from those 1,800. Um, Xavier has been sort of up and down. Marquette won three of their last four with a blowout loss against UConn. It's kind of crazy to think if they were to find a way to beat UConn, they might be starting to simmer a bubble conversation. But I believe Marquette can get out of the matchup against Paul if they do win this game. So they have to... They have to beat Xavier. Xavier's kind of on the bubble, kind of not. The bubble is always so hard, right? You never really know who's on the bubble, who's not on the bubble, because it's it, you, bet, you actually know easier now who's off the bubble when they lose a bad game, like Richmond today. Richmond got beat by Duquesne. Of course, I bet on Richmond. Um, and now we know Richmond's not gonna be in the tournament. We know Richmond's just headed home. There's nothing really Richmond can do. So Marquette right now is 7-11 and 11 in the Big East. If they win on Saturday, they will move past Butler. And I believe that would mean they would play St. John's in the first round. I think that's right. I'll have to look. Let's look at a Big East bracket. I should have done this beforehand, I'm sorry. But I, I I think how it'll go is that they'll play them. But let's see here. So it's a little different than it was last year. That is interesting. Or maybe this was how it was done and I just I just didn't know it and I wasn't paying, paying that close of attention. But you have the nine and the eight seed playing and then you have the 10 and the seven and the 11 and the six. So if Marquette were to stay at 10, that would mean that they would play Georgetown. And if they were to get to the nine spot, they would play Providence. I actually, this is going to sound like I'm a bad fan, but actually it might make more sense for Marquette to stay at the 10 because that would mean that if you would be able to advance against Georgetown, who's been playing well, been playing really well of late, you get to play Creighton, and Creighton's going through a lot right now. They just suspended their head coach for some things he shouldn't have said, and it's not. we're not the podcast to talk about that. And so maybe Creighton's vulnerable. I'm not saying Marquette can make a deep run, but at that point, if you're in the semifinals, fuck it, let's see. And if we we think Wojo's not coming back, then whatever, it, it is what it is. As for Wisconsin, Wisconsin will get ready to play Iowa, Iowa rolling. They rolled on... Nebraska tonight they put up a hundred and two on their asses which was which was very good. This is from Badger Wire. What would be the bracket if the Badgers started today the and they've been struggling? So here is what it would look like today. Wisconsin would have a bye, and they would get one bye right now, and they would play either Nebraska or Minnesota, and Minnesota is an absolute tire fire at this point i don't know if wisconsin can drop to seven which would mean an indiana illinois path versus a iowa path i think because of the tiebreakers wisconsin's probably locked into that sixth spot because the five spot belongs to ohio state who they lost to earlier this season let's look here wisconsin right now 10 and 9 so if they were to lose They could fall, they wouldn't fall from Maryland though. How would the tiebreaker work? Would it be overall record? Because they beat Maryland on the road. And it have to, is it overall, if it's overall record, but then they would have the same overall record. I have no idea what the tiebreaker would be. So don't even bother asking me. But yes, if Maryland were to beat Penn State on Sunday and Wisconsin were to lose to Iowa, then that would, that would create a, a situation for them. And I don't know really what that is, and I'm not going to try to guess it. Because right now, according to Kempom, it looks like Wisconsin, Maryland, and Rutgers would all be at 10 and 10. No, Wisconsin does have a, t- a tiebreaker against Rutgers but I don't know what that tiebreaker looks like. With Maryland, it's a three-team tiebreaker. I think Rutgers beat Maryland and Wisconsin. I, I've, I'm not even gonna try. It's way too late for that. It, you, you guys can do that. I'm sure Jeff Goodman or somebody else, Rob Doster might tell you. He's blocked me on Twitter if you don't forget. So he he might tell you, and, and ask Rob. Be like, hey, Rob, uh, just wanna know how the Big Ten bracket works if Maryland wins and Wisconsin loses and Rutgers wins too. All right, that does it. I went longer than I expected. Sorry, I rambled a little bit here and there, but that happens every now and again when you you tape it a little later in the day. Sorry again for the snafu yesterday. Hope you enjoy the back-to-back pods. If you haven't listened to yesterday, just stay tuned and we'll get you going for Thursday. All right, we'll be back Monday. We'll talk conference tournaments. We'll probably do a little bit on the All-Star game. I'm not sure we'll do a ton. We'll look at the golf tournament if it's worth talking about. Um, Who knows if we'll get any Packer news. You know, cuts have been happening all over the NFL. Maybe we'll get something there. Um, Well, yeah, maybe more Brewer news. Who knows? All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll talk Monday. Bye.